welcome back into a fabulous new Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We have a wonderful show to be sharing with you today. And our guests joining us today are two of the stars of the show. Joining us today, we have the stars Annie Paris and Peyton Hughes, the two actresses playing the roles of Beatrice and Catherine in Long Wharf Theater's presentation of A View from the Bridge. It's playing February 10th through March 10th at Canal Dock Boathouse, and you can get your tickets and more information by visiting longwharf.org. We are so excited to be bringing you this incredible Arthur Miller classic, and we are so excited to have our guests joining us today. So let's go ahead and welcome them on. Annie Payton, welcome to Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. Thank you. I am so excited to have the two of you here. I'm so excited to talk about this show. As we mentioned before we started, this is one of those shows I feel like that just stands out from the Arthur Miller catalog. I mean, he writes a lot of serious drama, but this one and the relationships that they dive into, definitely one that you're like, wait, huh, what now? So this is a this is going to be a fun show to, to really go back and forth with. And Annie, I want to start with you and having you tell us a little bit about what A View from the Bridge is about. So I think there's two main thematic threads that are weaving through and jump in, Peyton, if you're like, no, you've got that wrong, girl. I feel like the, the two main ideas that Miller is working with are immigration and what it means to be a new American and how that relates to... I guess at the time this play was written in the wake of McCarthyism, how it relates to, you know, what's said and what's not said, who gets away with what and how. And then the other thread that's much more underneath is a thread about desire, I think, about who you love and to what degree that love is under your control to what degree it's not under your control to like what do you do when you love the wrong person i think he's he's working with some really yeah like as you said before some pretty dark stuff absolutely i love that Peyton. i would love to know how is it that you came upon this production this piece that's a fascinating story. So I guess, you know, it started several years ago. I started doing living room theater with James Dean Palmer, our director, and just sort of got invited into a very casual artistic exploration. Like Monday nights, we're sitting around reading a play in someone's living room. And post-pandemic, James had approached Patricia Black, who's playing Alfieri, and myself about doing a different play. And we just sort of started tossing around that idea and chewing on that. And at some point we got connected with Long Wharf. They were really excited about the group of actors and people we had assembled in the room, including Mark Janik, who's playing Rodolfo. And we sort of started a conversation with them. They were looking at View from the Bridge and thought that we would be a good company to kind of be part of the ensemble around. And then when Dominic and Annie signed on, it became a go. And it is this very exciting sort of process. It's been very organic. The city of New Haven donated 
this gorgeous space, the iconic Canal Dock Boathouse, which is just overlooking the Cube Bridge. And we had our first space rehearsal yesterday in this space, which I'm pretty sure because we were rehearsing in New York and then the company moved up over the weekend to New Haven. But when we walked into the space with and saw the set for the first time, I was definitely very moved. I had tears in my eyes for sure. And so that's been the process, I guess. It's just sort of been about like, who are the right people? What is the right space? What is the right story? What is the right message? Which all of those elements really have to all come together for a piece of art to really work. So it's been really exciting. Love that. This sounds like an incredible production. I love it. Annie, coming back to you, as we start to slide into opening, if you will, on February 10th, what has it been like developing this piece and getting it up on its feet? I mean, I think it's such an interesting time to do this play, actually. Like, for me, at any rate, like, you know, it's a play written in 1955, so it doesn't automatically make you think, like, oh, yeah, it's going to have a lot to say about, like, our current moment. But but I think like it actually really does, particularly in light of the very intense conversation that our country is having around immigration and around like what it means to be an immigrant. And I think that this play like so beautifully tells the story of like the desperation that drives people to leave their country and try to come into another country illegally. I think that Miller just, he just knocks it out of the park in terms of like creating compassion for people struggling with that plight. And also for, again, it's a really intense exploration somewhat in a, in a somewhat subterranean way of the dynamics between women and men, you know, obviously 1955, the rules were pretty different for women and that's been a really interesting journey for me. I'll just speak for myself here, but I mean, jump in Peyton, if you will, like in terms of trying to get to a mindset that was like, that feels reflective of like, what are the, the accepted ways of perceiving your role in society as a woman, 1955. And then like getting there being like, wow, there is weirdly a lot of a lot of ways in which I feel like in some of, again, our own current struggles in terms of like what is acceptable around our sexuality, around our desire, are, it just feels very alive to me in a way that isn't like, oh, this is a real, this is a historical piece. And like, you know, it's an interesting like anthropological journey into the past and like, you know, but that you kind of, as you're going there, even though it, it, it is certainly a very specific world, it simultaneously feels like it just has a lot to say about so many of the things that we're really in conversation with each other, like across the country right now about. I absolutely love that. I love that. It's incredible what a play that was written 50, 60, 70 years ago can still ring so true about today, you know, and if it does, clearly we didn't get the message the first time, just saying, you know add that we did we are working in a period specific time frame like our play the production does take place in the 50s too even though we are in sort of a modern-esque building so there it's a very cool vibe is the word I'm going to use because you are getting like a very true sense of the 1950s 
very much through a modern lens though, in a lot of different aspects of the work. Yeah. And I feel like that's an interesting thing that Miller does in the play too, because unlike, you know, like his other sort of like really well-known, like great, you know, death of a salesman, the crucible, all my sons, like this play has that aspect of it that includes the sort of like Greek structure. So I think he already, I mean, I feel like that choice that the Long Wharf and James made in terms of like the setting of the play in this site specific location that is, you know, especially for the residents of New Haven is gonna, I think have a lot of resonance. Like there's a, there is a conversation in the play like about around time, around like timelessness, around like, you know, and he's definitely, I feel like, I mean, in such a genius way, like Miller is really working with kind of bringing together a structure that's simultaneously like super theatrical, you know, I mean, it is like a Greek structure with a literal Greek chorus. And then on the other hand, like it couldn't be more naturalistic. I mean, in terms of like the characters and the, you know, the actions that happen between the characters are all incredibly rooted in like the real world of the real circumstances, you know, Brooklyn 1955 or 54, you know, that he was, that he was writing in. So it's kind of, um, I, I feel like in terms of playwriting, it's kind of a magic trick, like how he managed to create something so theatrical and so naturalistic in the same piece of theater, you know? And again, I feel like James and the Long Wharf are really mirroring that as, as Peyton pointed out with the way that they're doing it in this space. I love that. And I wanna snowball off that to my next question for the two of you, which is what is the message or thought you are hoping that audiences take away from this? And Peyton, I wanna start with you on that if I can. It's interesting because like two different thoughts with that popped into my head. The first, I think one thing that I'm so, so, so deeply excited about is the opportunity. We have two student matinees, I think, and it is such a pivotal moment in a person's development, like when you're going to a play in high school, right? And it really cements that person's vision and relationship with theater moving forward for the rest of their life. And I feel like you get like one opportunity one opportunity to open the door forever or like close it. And for these high school students, like, I don't know, growing up, not in New Haven, not around this kind of an opportunity, I, we could be serving them up like museum theater, you know, and something that didn't feel vital and alive and dangerous. And it's so exciting that there are, there's this huge pot of all of these exciting, wonderful, alive elements that these kids are going to be able to see. And so I think that for me, one huge, huge thing about this is that I feel like we're going to be able to leave them with this very deep memory of, oh my God, I remember when I was 16, 17, I saw this crazy show and there were all of these things that were happening and oh my God, what? And it was like, holy shit. I just like, that's, the most exciting thing to me, I think. And in terms of the story, I think with View from the Bridge, I think my favorite thing that I love about the story and the play and the narrative and all of the characters is that they are so fully and wholly themselves and open and raw and mixed up a little bit. And I just love that you're watching these imperfect people in a complicated narrative. So that's what I'm most excited about with the story, I guess. 
I love that. I love that. Annie, what is the message or thought you are hoping that audiences take away from a view from the bridge? I mean, I think that I always feel like my fondest hope is that someone out there will feel a light bulb turn on when they watch the work on stage. They'll feel a moment of recognition, even if it's subterranean and obviously with a dark piece of theater like this that's exploring some really tough stuff you know that could mean a lot of things to a lot of different things to a lot of different people but i guess my my hope is always something like i i hope you'll recognize yourself up here you'll you'll you know because i think the for me the biggest well let me speak about myself as an audience member for me the biggest thrill i get as an audience member is like a moment where i see or understand something about my own humanity that I was either turning my back to or closing my eyes to. And like, even if it's something scary, it's so, it, it like expands your compassion, I think, to recognize yourself up there. So for me, I hope that the people who come can have a moment like that, that we can allow them a moment of just their compassion expanding a, a little bit for themselves and also for the other people that they encounter, because, you know, it's hard to be a human. <laughs> it's really hard to be a human. Amen. Oh my gosh, amen. Well, my final question for this first part of the interview is who do you hope have access to your show? And Annie, can I start first with you on this question? Yeah, I love that question so much. Thank you for asking it. I think it is such an important question for theaters all over the country to be considering right now. I really feel so passionately about like hearkening back to the conversation we were just having about like students in the theater that like, you know, in the world that we live in right now, like all of us being in a space together and like hearing each other, like in essence, like we, the actors are collaborating with the audience every single night to create that show every single night and it will be different Who, whoever's there will make the show different they they'll like it will be a different performance because those people were sitting in the audience and i really feel passionately about making theater available to a wider swath of folks so i hope that the actual people of actual new haven who actually have a stake in the city of New Haven and in the subject matter of this play are able to find their way to this theater. I hope people who are the children of immigrants, people who are immigrants themselves, people who have struggled with domineering family member, people who have struggled with a willful child. Like, I hope that all of those people can find their way somehow to this play, because I think that it has something to offer, not just, you know, people who can afford $200 tickets. I know the tickets aren't $200 here, but I know that that's often the case with, with theater. So I hope that we're able to get a, a, a wide ranging. And I, again, really admire the Longworth. I think, I think that that's also a, a goal of theirs. And so I know they're doing what they can to make that happen. Love that answer. Love it. And rounding us out this first part, I'm excited to hear your answer, Peyton. Who do you hope have access to your show, A View from the Bridge? 
I mean, I just want to like echo every single word that Annie just said, because I'm definitely on board with that. And then also piggybacking on the a little bit of the conversation. I hope we also get people that have turned their back on theater for whatever reason in their life. Like the barrier to entry for theater as an art form is so much different than like a painting or a song or something, you know, it's different because it's not just an investment of money. It's also an investment of time. And I, you know, like you have one bad like experience seeing Merchant of Venice or something that like a bad production of it. And you think, oh, I never want to go step into a theater again. You think it's like the whole art form as opposed to like you look at a Picasso and you're like, ah, eh, that's not for me. And then you look at a Degas and you're like, oh, wow, I love that. Like it's, you know, it's so much harder to get people back into the space, back into the theater, back into the narrative and the conversation. And so on top of, yes, every single person in New Haven, people who have immigrated, people who have family members that they're in conflict with, like, yes, yes, yes. And also people that might have written off theater as something they would enjoy and be passionate about. Because I think that we're in a position with this production to show them what theater could be and to really, we've just been set up to succeed in all of the different forms. I think Long Wharf has done a really beautiful job of ensuring that every single thing is kind of taken care of artistically and experientially. second part of our interview, we love letting our listeners get to know our guests a little bit better. Pull the curtain back, if you will. And I want to start by asking the two of you, what or who inspires you? What playwrights, composers, or shows have inspired you in the past or are just some of your favorites? And Peyton, can I stick with you first on this? Sure. I I love the classics. I love working on new work as well, but I am a huge Shakespeare nerd. I love Chekhov. They're probably my two top tops Ibsen's great I I don't know music wise I am going through a Ludvico Inaldi phase right now I've been a little obsessed with him almost flew around the world to go to one of his concerts you know I'm just like jamming with Ludvico right now is what I'm gonna say (laughs) yeah I don't know I'm constantly like discovering and going through things I'm yeah I'm really inspired by Alice Neal I love her paintings and her work I find her to be her portraiture is sort of very similar to me as like the relationship between an actor and an audience I feel like you're constantly like a viewer of Alice's interpretation of a person and so that's also artistically something that's very important to me right now yeah that's a brilliant answer a wonderful list I love that Annie how about you what are who inspires you let me see. I'm okay. So I'm going to give you crazy wide range of, because I feel like I'm all over the map these days. My favorite play of the last few years was an incredible piece called a case for the existence of God, which, oh my gosh, I just thought it was such an exceptional piece of theater in the sense that 
as I sat there watching it, I was like, oh my God, right. All you have to do is have two people sit and talk to each other in a room with an audience and, and it works, it works. Oh God, when it works, it works. Like, you know, you don't need any pyrotechnics. You just have these <laughs> And I was like, I just felt like it was such an incredible reminder and I've thought about that play so much. And then on the flip side, <laughs> I have post pandemic, I really was like, just one of the things I missed the most was going to the theater and going to see music. And so I was like, as soon as I can again, I'm gonna see everything. And I have two kids. And so I was like, I'm gonna take my kids to see as much as I can. And turns out my son like really loves musicals and I, I will be honest and say I just because I don't sing I've never really explored the world of musical theater and it has been so exciting to me to watch with my kids because again like magic of theater where you're just like oh my god this is magical it's magical and then because I don't sing and I don't dance I watch it and I'm, I don't watch with a critical eye. I really watch like with the, an eye filled with awe and I have just loved it. My son and I, one of our favorite ones, which is still playing on Broadway. We went to see Merrily We Roll Along and I didn't, I'd never seen it before. I didn't know what it was about. And we happened to go with one of his oldest friends whose mom is also an old friend of mine. And it was just so extraordinarily moving to watch that play with our kids about French. I was just blown away by it. So yeah, combination of like no pyrotechnics and also musicals. <laughs> and then moving outside of like the theater world, I grew up playing classical piano. And of course, when I moved to New York to study theater, like it's real, there's not a lot of space for a piano in, in your apartment. And so <clears throat> I, stopped playing and over the pandemic, my daughter started taking piano lessons. We have like a little keyboard and I was like, uh, maybe I'm gonna try playing piano again. And I did start playing piano again. And it has been just like this renaissance of love for classical composers. So like who I've been listening to lately are like Chopin or I just have started working on a Schubert piece. That's a transcription that Liszt made of a Schubert. And I just, the classical piano music has been like, I don't know, again, like just a gift where I think I was forced to do it as a kid. And I was like, nah, why can't I just play the Beatles? <laughs> and not to say that I don't love the Beatles. I do love the Beatles. But now I like just have such a huge appreciation for that music. And flip side, my daughter <laughs> got me into Taylor Swift. And I just want to I know she doesn't need my shout out. But I'm just going to say, Taylor Swift, I freaking love you, lady. You're amazing. <laughs> and then in terms of reading, I've been on a big short story kick. So I'll throw out like a few of my favorite writers these days. Carmen Maria Machado has an incredible collection called Her Body and Other Parties that I just can't recommend highly enough. I know that this is not a discovery um, because she literally won the Nobel Prize for Literature, but I recently myself just started reading Alice Monroe and I'm like, oh my God, Alice Monroe is just the best thing ever. And again, I know he doesn't need my shout out, but George Saunders can do no wrong as far as I'm concerned. He's just such an incredible short storyteller. So yeah, those are the, those are my, my things these days. <laughs> I love both of those lists. I cannot wait to go back and edit this and just be like sitting there like, write it down, write it down, follow <laughs> this, listen to that. Just amazing, amazing, wonderful list from both of you incredible 
I want to ask the two of you, what is your favorite part about working in the theater? And Peyton, I'm going to start with you again on this. What is my favorite part of working in the theater? That's a really good question. I There's a lot I love and some stuff you just put up with because you're working in the theater and you love everything else. I think I think I love the authenticity. I, you know, working in film and TV, everything happens really quickly. And sometimes the answers don't come from an organic place and the storytelling might not like it's, but with theater, it, there's such a sense of community and growth together over the course of years in life. And so I think you just start having a deeper foundation for how other people tell stories, why other people tell stories, where it comes from, how to work together, how to make it better, how to add. And so I think that that and the teamwork are really my favorite things about working in the theater. Just feeling like you're actually growing together with people as opposed to sometimes if you're just popping in for two days of work or three days of work or a week of work, it's you don't get the same connection and you don't get the same ability to narratively connect with the other artists that you're telling a story with, which can be an impediment sometimes, I think. And also just not as much fun. That is a fabulous answer. I loved that. Annie, how about you? What is your favorite part about working in the theater? I mean, I really echo Peyton's love of the the process. I think like, you know, yeah, it's just, it feels like, I guess maybe like, like the time right? Like is such a gift because, you know, I find for me, it, it almost always is like, I come in on the first day of rehearsal and I think like, yeah, I have some ideas. I have some, you know, I've been working on my script. I have been working on, I have thoughts. And definitely by like week three, I'm like, oh, wow. Like those ideas were wrong. <laughs> like, like I, I mean, maybe not all of them, but like, I'm like throwing out 75% of what I started with and I'm now in a completely different place. And it, it really is like, it, I feel like that is the gift of time and, and just other people in the room, which is really exciting. And then to echo that, like collaboration is also, but it's fraught, right? Like, it's like, sometimes you're like, oh my God, like, I don't understand what this person is asking me to do or what is that person? But again, it feels like such a gift to really have the time and space to work through that. Like ideas come through that process of like, I don't get it. (laughs) That, that could never have come out before. So, and, and, and there's just, I mean, for, for our industry, I think there's no more collaborative place than, than a theater rehearsal room you know I mean it's just genuinely like all voices are heard and and it's great it has like an incredibly powerful impact on the work I think yes just one big sandbox to play in I love it wonderful answers and and it leads us to my favorite question to ask guests which is what is your favorite theater memory I have something okay so this is gonna sound really funny and but when you asked the when you first asked the question, the first thing that popped into my head, mostly because it's just in my head right now, we had a day in rehearsal where Annie and I were kind of panicking over a scene. We had a coat involved, and we were like, "The coat is going to fix the problem." And then the coat became a problem as we like developed, but and we got rid of it, right? But I just like that was one of my favorite days of rehearsal because like the way we were sort of working and trying to figure out where the scene was going, what was happening, what we were doing, how we were interacting, how we were staging it. Like, you know, there was such a sense of let's try this, let's try this, let's try this. Like, 
And it was just really fun too, even though we were trying to figure out a problem. And that was one of my favorite days of rehearsal. And then immediately followed by that didn't work, you know, okay, we're going to do it again. Like that was one of my favorites for this process, I guess. Love that. What a wonderful, wonderful memory. Thank you for sharing that. Annie, how about you? I also echo the, I have so many that pop into my mind. It's overwhelming, but I'm going to take a more recent one. Although I'm like, well, what about this one? When you were seven, I I'm going to, that also, because it, it, it echoes maybe the spirit of play. And this is a, uh, uh, this is being an audience member. I recently took my daughter to see her dad, who is also an actor in a play. And it was her first time seeing her dad on stage. She, my daughter's nine. And I was telling a friend, it was like watching two plays because I was watching him, of course, you know, it was opening night. So it's like, okay, I haven't seen it either. So I'm watching him, of course, but also I was watching her watch him and she was so delighted and, and tickled and, you know, would like point at him and kind of look at me with like a big, like, oh my God, like, is that my dad? And then at the top of act two, he had this moment where he came out on stage alone, like as the audience was getting seated and sang this song and did kind of a weird little dance. And she was so excited that she actually stood up and started mirroring him as he was doing it. And again, like I just had this really overwhelming, like, oh, right, the magic of theater is real. Like, even when it's like somebody who intimately knows that that's not, you're playing pretend up there. And like what you can inspire in them is the impulse to play pretend with you. And and I was like, oh, right. Like, that's what, that's what you wanna do is just get the audience to be in that place where they're like, yeah, I believe in this. I believe in this, you know? Oh, what a wonderful memory as well. I love that. I love both of those. Those are so wonderful. Thank you both for sharing those. Well, as we wrap things up, I'm curious to know, do either of you have any other projects or productions coming down the pipeline that we might be able to plug for you? I wish I had a theater project to, to tell you about. I don't have a theater project. I have a few films coming up and I'm happy to tell you about the films, but I also completely understand if you're like, we want to tell about theater. <laughs> please, please. I have a film that premiered at Tribeca right before the strike happened. So it was supposed to come out last year and then they're still trying to figure out a new a new release date. It's called Eric LaRue and it is starring Judy Judy Greer and Alec, Alexander Sarsgaard. And I, I hope people will see it. It's, it's a really beautiful film. I'm very proud of it. And I have a film called Three Birthdays that's doing the uh, festival circuit right now. Again, I'm, I'm super proud of it. The director, Jane Weinstock, has won a few awards for Best Director. She's incredible, and it's a, another film I'm really proud of. And then I have another film called Friends and Foes, which I shot last summer and which is just in the process of post-production. And I don't know anything about when that one's going to be out, but I had a great time making it, and I, I hope it'll find its audience as well. So Fabulous. Some wonderful films coming out. Peyton, how about you? 
Yeah, I'm working with Tunki Vandersloos on a new two-hander called Interview. It's based on the Dutch film by Theo van Gogh and that Steve Buscemi and Sienna Miller did a remake of in 2007. And we have taken the original Dutch film. Tunki has made a fresh translation and we've adapted it for today's world. And I'm really excited about that believe we're doing it this spring but it has not been announced but just a little like little a little sneak peek word so I'm really excited about that that's been a really fun project to develop that sounds so good oh and leaving us with a little teaser there which is a good lead into my final question which is if our listeners would like more information about a view from the bridge or about either of you maybe they'd like to reach out to you how can they do so Come to see her perform. <laughs> come to the Long Wharf and come to the Canal Dock Boathouse and, and see the show and say hi afterwards. <laughs> see us in real life. Yeah. I am on Instagram at Trepay, T-R-E-S-P-A-Y. And I'll pass along any messages of love and adoration for Annie to Annie. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, Annie... Peyton, thank you both so much for taking the time to speak with me today about this fascinating show, this timely show, and then just sharing some wonderful insight with us. This has been so wonderful. So thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having us and for getting the word out about, about our show. Thank you both so much. My guests today have been the actresses Annie Paris and Peyton Hughes, who are starring in the show at Long Wharf Theater, A View from the Bridge. It's playing February 10th through March 10th at Canal Dock Boathouse. You can get your tickets and more information by visiting longwharf.org. We also have some contact information for our guests, which we'll be posting on our episode description as well as on our social media posts. But right now, make sure you head over to longwharf.org. Get your tickets for this incredible Arthur Miller play being presented by Long Wharf Theater. It's an incredible show. It stars our two guests who are amazing artists with many other projects in the pipeline. The show, A View from the Bridge, is playing February 10th through March 10th. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep talking about the theater in a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. And be sure to check out our website for all things Stage Whisper and theater. You'll be able to find merchandise, tours, tickets, and more. Simply visit stagewhisperpod.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you will find all the information about our backstage pass as well as our tip jar. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you.